everybody, this is Mark Vines. Welcome to The Mark Vines Show. And this is your one-stop shop for everything having to do with your freedom, liberty, the American way, and frankly, just uh, frankly, just how you ought to live your life, I think. But today we have a guest, and Frank Runnels has been a guest here many times on the show before. But what a lot of you may not realize is that Frank just published a book, and it's a fascinating book called Lies People Tell an FBI Agent's Toolkit for Catching Liars and Cheats. And it's a very, very interesting book. It's a compilation of Frank's experience from years as an FBI agent, uh, interview and interrogator, and as an instructor at the FBI Academy. And that's where I met Frank, actually, and we were both instructors down there. And the course that he taught was a statement analysis, very popular course. And Frank took that experience and decided, hey, this is useful information for everybody out there. And it really is useful information. We're going to talk to Frank about it. And it's uh, phenomenal. And I want you to realize that this is not just information that is useful for people that want to be in law enforcement or doing investigations, but it has application to uh, every aspect of life, every uh, occupation and your family life and just so many different uh, things that you can use this information for. We're going to talk to Frank about that and so with that frank welcome to the show thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah well you know what prompted you to write this book because it was a anybody that's not written a book uh, i am writing one it's not out yet but i can tell you this it's not for the faint of heart so it took a lot of work a lot of effort and you have to be very motivated to do something like this so what what was your inspiration for writing the book well, I'd had the idea for a long, long time, and I'd toyed with writing a book, but I didn't want to really make it a law enforcement-centric type of book. I wanted to make it more accessible to, like, everyday people, because everyone's concerned with being deceived or lied to or defrauded. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, I can take the the statements, the criminal statements I use when I teach deceptive language analysis and statement analysis and use those as examples in the book, but juxtapose that against everyday occurrences. So it sort of got a little true crime feel to it along with practical application of uh, the lessons derived from the statements in the book. But what what really motivated me was I just remembered back all of the times throughout, you know, my career where there were moments, I don't care how good you are. There'll be times when you just say, I know this guy's not being truthful. I just don't know why. And after all of the years and all of my experiences, I sort of tried to use the book to distill down everything I've learned, all the little tricks linguistically that people use to try to deceive or lie to people or to trick them or to defraud them. And I thought, well, let me do this. I'm retired now. I had the opportunity. I wrote most of this book when I was uh, living overseas in the UAE, teaching over there. And I spent a lot of weekends all by myself locked in a room typing this stuff out, researching, adding to my, my base of knowledge for this book. And I actually, I think I actually, by writing it, I learned a lot of stuff that I kind of knew, but I actually really solidified in my mind, just trying to make sure that I put out the best product 
I possibly could. Uh, and when you look in the book, and I know you've read the book, when you look mm-hmm. at it, I started out the book talking about my experience as a new agent in Buffalo, New York. And for some reason, in Buffalo, New York, during the early to mid-90s, that was just like a hotbed for telemarketers. They had We had all kinds of telemarketers working out of the western New York, Buffalo area. And we actually, it was to the point that they started a telemarketing task force. I was assigned to the squad that had the telemarketing task force, so I got sent out to work telemarketing fraud. And I I was given a case of uh, a company called West New York Recovery, WNY Recovery, Inc. And what they did is they would call up senior citizens that who had been defrauded through telemarketing schemes before and tell them, if you give me 10% of the money that you've lost, I'll recover all of the money you lost the first time and you keep 90% and I'll keep 10%. Now, so they, they're, they have bought a list from other telemarketers of people they've defrauded and they're going back and defrauding them again because they have <laughs> oh no intention God. of recovering any money. They just need you to send them 10%. And they were hitting people over and over and over again. They were just, you know, we had hundreds and hundreds of victims, all of them you know, it, above 60, many of them 70, 80 years old, World War II era. And they're very, very, as if you think of your grandmother, your grandfather, they're gullible. They really think people are still honest. And when they talk to someone, I would hear over and over again, well, that nice young man promised me he would get me my money back. Well, they've lost $10,000. They think, well, for $1,000, I can get 9000 back on a fixed income. That's a pretty good deal. Never realizing that, no, you're just losing another thousand. So consequently, I went through all of the, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different uh, victims. And I called probably at least 80 or 90 of them and had long conversations. And I found that they were incredibly reluctant to tell me what happened because they were embarrassed. They didn't want their family to know. A lot of them had never told their family that they'd lost money the first time, not alone the second time. So they were being very deceptive. And I kept seeing the same thing over and over again of how they would answer the questions with equivocations. And, you know, they wouldn't remember. Now they're old. So you say, okay, maybe they don't remember, but it's things that they should remember. Or they would give you a lot of explanations that really weren't pertinent. So all the things I talk about in book. I kept seeing that over and over again, and I knew they weren't being truthful. I didn't just didn't know why. But long story short, I got enough of them to finally admit, yes, this is what happened. This is the person that, you know, I talked to and made me these promises. We were able to arrest all these guys, shut this operation down. But I never forgot that because I remember one this one particular woman. She lived in California. I was in Buffalo. So I had to wait. Till about seven o'clock Buffalo time, uh, seven o'clock at night Buffalo time to talk to her to get her on the phone, and I'm sitting there in the office all by myself, and this eighty year old lady's crying and just saying, "There's no way this nice young man would have lied to me," and it just, you know, you know that she's barely making it, and it just breaks your heart. 
And I never forgot that. So I've always had an interest in de- detection of deception because I knew from that point on, I really need to get a lot smarter with this stuff if this is what I'm going to do with my life. And consequently, I've become a student of interviewing, a student of deceptions, a student of, you know, how people actually use language and words to try to trick people. And that's kind of the genesis of why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Well, it, you're absolutely right uh, that people lie in so many parts of our lives. And a lot of times, you know, we, we think that it's they're trying to hide stuff or they want to hide things. And they may be hiding things, but I think we question their motives in doing it. You know, for example, uh, I worked in a, in a treatment center for drugs and alcohol for this last year. And I know, Frank, you and I have talked about this, but I want the audience to know that when I along the same lines of what you're talking about, when I was in the treatment center, every single patient, in fact, I, I mean every single patient that would come in and uh, talk to me would lie about their, their drug use. Now, keep in mind, we're in a treatment center, so we're, we're there to help these people. They know that we're there to help them, but yet no one ever told the truth about their use. And I think it goes into what you're talking about is there's this uh, wanting to, this this unique sort of, uh, phenomenon where they, they feel judged. And I think a lot of it is the stigma uh, of judgment. Like you're talking about with the, the elderly woman, she doesn't want you to think less of her. She doesn't want her family to think less of her. And in the environment that I was in, that's the way that it was. It was almost like the patients were trying to impress us. They want us to like them when that's really not the purpose of, of why we are there. But you would see it over and over and over. And there are... Um, uh, no matter who you're talking about or what the subject is, there's patterns to the line. You can pick up on it, and it's very predictable. Uh, there are ways that you can recognize it and that your book spells all of that out because you, in your studies and following this, you picked up on those patterns, didn't you? And to the point to where it's so predictable that you can actually uh, write about it and articulate it in a book for you know our listeners to understand it. And then, more importantly, be able to do, determine uh, these patterns for themselves in order to help the ultimately help the person that, that we want to help. Right. Once you see the pattern, you can't unsee it, mm-hmm. but it's, it's hard to see the pattern for the first time. And it's like, you know, those trick uh, pictures you see in the Sunday comics and you look at it and you look at it and you look at it. And then all of a sudden you see what they're trying to show you. It just sort of clicks in and then you can't unsee it. That's how this stuff is. is once you realize what you're looking for, you'll start picking up on it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And for your, for your listeners, let me, let me just give you three things that I always look for just in a general sense that anyone can do for looking for a deceptive statement. If someone's saying something to you or you're reading a, something uh, a statement or whatever. These are, for, I look for three things. The first thing I look at is what I call the balance of the statement. So a statement, every statement, whether it's a verbal statement or a written statement is like a story. Every story has three parts, the beginning, the, the middle of the, the, the incident and the epilogue, the end, right? Every statement has the prologue, how, how the, uh, the situation started, the incident itself, what, what is the main action in the story, and the aftermath of the main action. So a statement's like that. So I look at 
the balance of those statements. Now, if you were, say, robbed, walking out to your car today, say you left work at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you're walking out to the parking lot, someone runs up behind you, sticks what feels like a gun barrel in your back, says, okay, lay it down on the ground, and they steal your wallet and your keys and say, don't move or I'll shoot you. Okay. And you, you comply. And then at the end, you wait till you know that he's gone. You get up and call the police. Now the police say, okay, tell me what happened. Now you got a binary choice. You can either start the, the conversation out with, well, I was walking to my car when this happened and they explain what happened or well, I worked today. I got here at like eight o'clock this morning and I had a lot of work to do and I had to do run the TSB reports and this and that. And then I had lunch with Susie and, the, and they go into a long dissertation and then they get to the point of, and then I walked to my car. Uh, someone came up, stuck something my back, took my, my wallet, my keys and ran off. Well, which statement is more realistic and balanced. Now, the most important thing that probably happened to that person that day, maybe that week or that year, is being run, robbed at gunpoint at their place of work. The second statement gives this almost no detail or no, it gives you such a small amount of information because they spent all of their time telling you everything except the incident. That, for me, is a statement that's out of balance because the, really the balanced statement should be almost all about the incident itself. If you're telling me everything before and after and just give me a couple seconds about, well, the guy stuck something in my back and took my wallet and ran off, that's probably not a truthful statement. So that's the first thing I look at. Along with that, the second thing I look at is the details in the statement. If the first person that's been robbed gives you good what I call good, unique sensory details, details that has something to do with one of the five senses that paints a picture in your mind that has no equivocation. And if you ask yourself, if they were making up this story, would they tell me all of this? You answer those four questions looking at their statement. So on the first one, the first person says, well, they, they stuck something back. It felt like a gun. They made me get out on the ground. They told me to look away. Then they rifled through my pockets. They found my wallet, took my wallet out of my pocket, out of my back pocket on the left-hand side. They took my keys away. They told me not to look at them and not to get up or else I'll kill you. And I heard them running off the footsteps going in the direction towards the street. Now, that's some pretty good detail it's got the five senses you heard you felt all right you've got no equivocation it's not like well i kind of think he may have type of thing it's like there's no equivocation it paints a picture in your mind of exactly what happened and if they were making that up there's so much detail there would they use the, all that detail to be tripped up if they were lying whereas the second guy it's just saying, well, they, they stuck something on the back. That I, I don't know. It could have been like a gun. I'm not sure. They took my wallet and ran away. Well, there's equivocation. There's no uh, sensory detail because it's not in the five senses. It, it has equivocation. And if they were making this up, if it was a lie, 
that's probably the lie they go with because there's nothing to trip you up on. That's very easy to remember that story. There's no details. There's no linear pattern that they have to keep in line. And the third thing I look at is the amount of extraneous information they give. The first one has almost no extraneous information. It goes right to the incident itself. Whereas the second one gives you all of this extraneous information about what time they went to work and who they had lunch with and they were doing the TSB reports and we all know how difficult those are. That's extraneous information that's not answering the question. People use extraneous information either to buy time because they know they're going to lie, so they're trying to buy time because lying is actually hard for most normal civilized people to do, or they're using it as a justification for some behavior or some activity that they're in, involved in. Mm-hmm. One of those two things. It's answering, and, and it's answering questions that's never been asked. I didn't ask what you had for lunch. I didn't ask you what time you got there. I want to know about the robbery. So those are the big three big things I always look at. Anybody can use those three things as a guideline, very broad base. But if you apply those three things, I think you probably 80% of the time can figure out someone's not being uh, completely truthful with you. Yeah, and and in the book, you go into great detail about all the the different types of lying and, and how they do it. I mean, there's a lot of nuances to it, but as you just said, that there's three basic concepts or main concepts, and then you work through those, and then you can dial into... Uh, the more spe- specifics, like why are they lying uh, to you about this? You know, what's the purpose? And I think one of the interesting things that comes out of the book is this. It's an, important for people to understand because when we think about lying, we think of things that are completely made up. But it doesn't, you talk about how that doesn't, that's not always the case. It's, it's people don't typically outright lie to you. What you're going to run into more often is people just don't completely tell the truth, which is a form of lying. Correct? Yeah. Right, because think of it like this. It takes a lot of mental uh, work to lie and to keep it straight. Now, people think, and I say in my book, lying is hard to do for most people. Even the most criminals have a hard time lying because we're socialized as humans that lying is bad. From the time we're children, we don't... say, you know something, I've got Becky, who's three years old, I'm going to teach her to be the best liar possible. And every time she lies to me, I'm going to reward her, no matter what. We don't do that. We punish kids for lying. We teach them bad people lie, good people don't lie, and always be truthful with us. You know, So we're socialized to tell the truth. And then you add in, if you have something to lose, by getting caught in a lie, meaning you have some skin in the gate. If you lie and say you've embezzled money, if you lie and get caught uh, in the lie that you embezzled money, well, now you got a real problem. Not only did you lie to law enforcement, but chances are you're going to go, you're going to lose your job at a minimum. You may go to prison. Your wife might divorce you. The kids may disown you. I mean, you've got a lot at stake there. So you got some cognitive overload going on because you don't want to get caught in a lie. Whereas deceptive language is the easier route. It requires less work on our part and less cognitive load to just use deceptive language such as 
Yeah, uh, I think something like that happened, but I'm not really sure. All that's equivocation. Now, they do know exactly what happened, and they're using equivocation to basically not answer your question. That's deceptive language. It's not a lie per se, but it's not the truth either. That's where it gets a little fuzzy for people. And that's why I never really looked for the lie with that aha moment where it's like, okay, that's where they're lying to me. I look at how they say things and the words they use and in the context they use them. And then I start asking more pointed questions and I start drilling down on what they said. Well, why did you? refer to such and such as this. Why did you do this? How was that determined? How did you decide? Why did you decide? What may, what factors were involved? Suddenly now I'm asking a lot of questions that they don't want to answer because they're lying and they don't have answers for those. That's when you start figuring out, okay, they're not being truthful. Mm. And there's an application for a lot of this, and maybe describe to the listeners that somebody that they're thinking, well, why would I buy this book? Why would I need it? Who, who would need this book? Who would benefit from this? Honestly, I think some of the, if you, I think anybody can benefit from portions of it. Uh, but I think that if you interview people or talk to people or supervise and lead people, you would benefit from this book greatly because communication is the, the grease that makes the world uh, turn, right? This is, that's the thing that everybody relies on. We have to communicate. Say you're a supervisor and you have two employees that are in a disagreement. You bring them in and set them down or you bring them in individually or together to try to mediate and find out what is going on. This book can tell you a lot about when they answer, well, you know what I mean? She's just so-and-so. Well, you know, that's an equivocation and it's not really a direct answer. It's more experienced information. Well, well why, why did you have this disagreement? Well, you need to ask her, those type of things. It helps you work through when people are using deceptive language. So if you interview people, you're a coach. And I mean, not only a sports coach, but a coach like a business coach or a life coach or a financial coach, someone that talks to people and helps them work through their problems, counselors, mentors, people, the mentors in AA. I mm -hmm. mean, there's so many different uses for this because it teaches you. And that's kind of what I would hope would come for us, how to be a better communicator, not only being able to detect when someone else is being deceptive, but also, to know when you're using deceptive language because we all fall into that, that trap too, because it's easy to use equivocations. It's easy to use intensifiers and, and trying to convince as opposed to convey information or minimizers trying to minimize your activities and try to, you know, distance yourself. It's easy to do that. But the reality is, is, Authentic communication is always going to succeed in your life better than being deceptive. So I, not only do I want people to be able to detect deception, I want to catch themselves doing it and stop, and stop themselves from doing it so they're much more clear and authentic in how they communicate. Yeah, and it's funny, when you learn these lessons, 
you never really look at, look at conversations the same. And you certainly will never watch the news or television or p- political candidates, uh, politicians, uh, the same, because this is a daily thing when you watch the news, isn't it? Right. And it is. And, you know, I was on uh, Tucker Carlson's yeah. uh, show, Tucker Carlson Today, and one of the statements, he, he read a quote from my book about that I believe it is hard for people to lie. And I... And I, I answered, he asked me, how could this be? And I answered it, but I don't feel like my answer was sufficient. And I've thought about it a lot since then. I wish I had a do-over. Unfortunately, in life, you don't get do-overs. But this is going to be my do-over here. I should have told him that in life, there are two, there are two classes of people. You have your, your professional liars class, which would be the media and politicians, government bureaucrats, those type of people, right? Mostly, mainly the people that reside in what you would call the D.C. swamp, right? And then you have regular people who are not part of the professional liars class. Those normal people have a hard time lying because they're socialized that it's bad. They know that there's a consequence if they get caught in a lie, and they have a conscience. Those people in the professional lying class, they don't have a conscience. They don't care that they get caught because there's no repercussions for getting caught in a lie. They just move on. And that was probably what I should have told him, that not everybody is like that. Just normal people have a hard time lying. Professional The professional lying class, and I don't include criminals in that. I include just the politicians, media, and bureaucrats. Criminals actually still have a hard time lying many times. Otherwise, we wouldn't get confessions from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the reality is, though, you'll never get a confession from someone that works in D.C., a bureaucrat, a politician, or a media person. You'll never get them because they have no shame, and they know that even if they get caught with a lie, what repercussions do they have? They're never held accountable. No, so that 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 is my my do over for that. Well, and you know what? It's not even just politicians. I mean, you uh, certain salespeople. I mean, let's let's face it. There are you mentioned telemarketers. How about if you're buying a timeshare? How about if you're buying? You know, you could go down the whole laundry list of uh, things in your own personal life where you're uh, you got somebody trying to sell you something. <laughs> that happens right. too, doesn't it? Where you're well, you're being lied to about whatever right. the product or service is. Yeah, exactly. And this is, and this book hopefully will help people to be able to see through the the slick salesperson, sales pitch, whatever, and realize I don't have to accuse the guy of lying. I just have, need to step back and say, hey, I need to think about this or ask a few more pointed questions. And when they won't answer those questions, that's when you say, yeah, I think I'm I'm not interested. That's because reality is, is when you're dealing with a salesperson, it happens all the time. I, as a matter of fact, here's a perfect example of that. Uh, about three days ago, I get a call from, I, I have no idea who this person is, but this phone number comes from California. And they said that, oh, are you Frank Runnels? And are you the author of, you know, the, you know, the lies people tell, da, 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 and then he stumbles over the title and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. 
said, oh, I, I just want to congratulate you. You've been selected to be a, a finalist in this, uh, you know, this award for, you know, self-publishing houses and da, 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 da. And, and we would like to, you know, put your book in a, you know, as one of 16 uh, finalists in this competition in USA Today, it's going to be a one-page ad and, uh, you know, and I'd already heard this pitch once before. I said, yeah, I said for $3,500. I, I, you want me to pay you $3,500 for an ad in USA Today? He goes, well, no, no, no. What, what, what we would like to do is, uh, we would, uh, uh, we would only charge you a thousand. I said, so you, so you, so let me get this straight. You want me to pay you a thousand dollars for an award that you claim I won that I've never heard of, and you're going to put my book in USA Today. Yes, yes. I said, I've, I've heard this pitch before. And he goes, oh, well, I, I would, I feel so confident that your book, you know, is so good uh, that I would, I would pay $500. So you pay $500, I'll pay $500. And I said, you know, I said, pal, yeah, I said, you obviously haven't read the title of my book. I said, it's lies people tell, an FBI agent's toolkit for catching liars and cheats. I said, you do, you do realize I do this for a living. What you're telling me I know is BS. You do, you, I said, you obviously haven't read the book. Otherwise, <laughs> you wouldn't even be making this call. So, you know, that's how you deal with guys like that because I knew it just, it was such a crazy story. And he stumbles over your name and he stumbles over the title of the book. And he doesn't know any of the content of the book. So, you know, I've won this award because they've reviewed my book and it's one of the best books ever. Okay. If I pay them money to give me an award, that's the type of stuff you just say, Hey, they're not being, they're being deceptive and B, you walk away. And that's what I hope people pick up from this book. Yeah. It's the, it's the red flags. It's the red flag. If you start having a collection of red flags and the book helps you right. pick up on those red flags, then you know there, there's something up. And one of the things about, about lying that you just pointed out in your story, too, it's amazing how many people, when they're called out and you called this guy out, doesn't back down. No. That's amazing. No, he, he, he was sticking with his script. And, uh, you know, and I just started asking him too many hard questions and he started, he couldn't answer them because he has a script with certain uh, answers. It, it, it's a telemarketing scam. Well, just like I did 25 years ago in Buffalo, it's a telemarketing scam. And they think that as an author, you're so desperate to be recognized and that you'll actually pay money to have some phony baloney award and you'll get your, your book in USA Today. I, I don't even know if they publish USA Today still. I haven't seen one in so many years. But, I mean, it's like anytime they say, listen, you're going to get this award. You just need to pay me for it. You know something? I think I'll just keep my money. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's an award in itself, you know? Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, it, well, it's a fantastic book. It is. Yeah. I just found that to be so uh, ironic. It's like, uh, dude, you obviously didn't read the title of the book and think about it. Like, what you're doing is exactly what my book is all about, you know? And you know I'm a retired FBI agent and you're still pulling right. this on me, which is amazing. Right. Oh, my so, goodness. 
Uh, well, it's a fantastic book, and uh, it was featured on Tucker Carlson today. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. That's pretty exciting. Um, did yeah. you, did you expect that? I mean, that's it's your first no. book, and here you are. You're, Tucker Carlson's got the number one uh, news program in the world, I believe it is. Certainly in the United States, I, but uh, wow, congratulations! I, I, I have to say, I know Tucker through a friend, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, I haven't communicated him, with him very much because, you know, he's a busy guy and, I mean, I'm a nobody. But I reached out to him and just said, hey, I'd like to send you a copy of my book in hopes that he'd be like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Maybe I'd like to have you, you know, maybe come on my show for a five-minute segment or whatever. He immediately texted back and says, you know, uh, yeah, what's it about? And I told him a little paragraph of what it is, a synopsis. He says, would you be willing to do a long form interview about it? Like, yeah. He said, well, it'd be about an hour and it'd be on my, my streaming show on Fox nation. I'm like, okay, yes, yeah, sure. I mean, if, if you're, you know, you're like the biggest thing in conservative news right now. Yeah. I would, I would like to be in front of your millions and millions of viewers. So he said, I'll on it. And then about, I don't know, maybe, Two or three weeks later, I'd given up. Like, well, two or three weeks later, I hadn't heard anything. I just thought, well, he was just—he was just being nice, kind of shining me on, you know what I mean? And then I get a call from his producer, said, "Hey, when, can you come down on this date?" And uh, they flew me down there uh, to Florida, and I uh, went and did the interview. It was an hour long, uh, and I gotta say. You know, they, there was a hit piece on Tucker that just came out, I think, yeah. Washington Post or New York Times or whatever, basically calling him a racist. I can tell you this. Tucker Carlson is the exact same guy when you see him in public, or in my case, at his studio, as he is what you see on TV. He's ebullient. He's upbeat. He laughs uproariously. He's incredibly authentic. He listens closer than anyone I've ever seen. He's he's a great interviewer because he listens with true curiosity of what you're saying. And he is just, he is the most gracious and friendly guy you would ever meet. He's like, you you walk away saying, gee, I'd like to, I'd like to have a few beers with this guy. I mean, he's just <laughs> that kind of guy. And the fact that he would be willing to put me on for a whole hour and no one's ever heard of it and talk about my book and uh, talk about my life because he found me and my book, the premise of my book and my, my backstory of growing up in East Tennessee and the Appalachia and all this stuff. Interesting enough, they thought people would be interested in that. Now, and for me, you know, you, you've been involved with this business like I have here mm-hmm. for the last couple of years, getting traction with big names, it's hard to do. Yeah. And then you have the biggest name of all of them say, Hey, would you be willing to do an interview? It just blows your mind. And, it, but to this day, still the low level guys, you know, it's hard to get their attention because, you know, I don't know. I guess they think they're too good. I don't know. You know what I mean? But Tucker is just, he's an amazing man. I, I'm completely indebted to him. And I just, I'm always just amazed when I think about, how magnanimous and generous he is to do something like that just because he's that kind of guy, you know, it's not, he didn't look at me and said, 
oh, no one's ever heard of you, so yeah, good luck to you. He's like, no, I'd like to talk to you. Wow. That's that's phenomenal, yeah. and congratulations. Yeah, no, it, it was great. And I mean, like I said, he's as nice a guy. I spent an hour there, and I could have talked to him for another hour easily because, I mean, he's, he's fascinated with unique stories, and he asked good probing questions, and he asked them some really good questions. He took a couple of quotes out of the book, and we not only did we discuss the book, we discussed Comey, we discussed the FBI, the nature of the FBI. Uh, and like I said, he asked me the one question, that one quote about it's hard for people to lie. And now he's looking at it through the prism of the D.C. professional liars class. And for him, he's thinking, well, that can't be true because everyone I deal with and I know lies with abandonment and have no problem with it. And that was the thing I should have clarified is like, you you gotta exclude them. I'm I'm writing this book for normal people. Those guys, they're in a completely different realm when it comes to lying. Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do with them is just assume that ninety eight or ninety nine percent of what they say is deceptive, and the other one percent is an outright lie for sure. You know. Wow. Well, well. So for the listeners, how would they get a hold of your book? Uh you can go to Amazon. Uh, and it's lies people tell, you know, you can just put in lies people tell Frank Runnels. My last name is spelled R U N L E S. Uh, or you can go to my publisher bookbaby.com and I'll, I'll send you a link for those, you know, those two things that you can put into your show notes. If people, you know, just click on it, it'll take them to either one of those places and they can purchase it. They can purchase it. The ebook, uh, is available and the paperback. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, and leave a review for Frank as well. If you go to Amazon, leave him a review. The book is doing really well. Um, it, what are the rankings yeah. right now? Uh, you and I were discussing this it, before he came on the air. It finally broke the, the Amazon top 100 bestsellers. It's currently sitting at number 22 for forensic science law and number 49 for behavioral psychology. So not bad. No, not, not bad at all. In your first, first book. First first time author. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, I'm pretty psyched. It, you know, it was a lot of work. And it was one of those things where even, and, and we've talked about this past, I've said like, even if it doesn't sell, you know, 25 years from now, my daughter may pick it up and read it and say, yeah, the old man wasn't so dumb after all. You know what I mean? So it's a legacy thing, but you know, I want to try to get it out into as many hands as possible because I really do think that this is, you know, you know, not to get all, you know, uh, preachy, but, you know, I was blessed uh, to be in a position to learn a lot of unique things that most people don't. And I think that it's kind of my obligation to take that information and pass it on to other people for them to be able to use it in the best way they can that, you know, sort of closes a circle of, you know, I was blessed to be able to do this stuff and learn this stuff. So I want to pass it on and, you know, maybe help others. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what we do. And this is not going to be the last time you write a book. I know you're, you're working on one right now. So you guys are going to hear about Frank Runnels again in the future in the uh, literary yeah. world. I, I hope so. But uh, uh, this one's a fiction book and that's a completely different uh 
that's a different set of mu- writing muscles. Uh, and, <laughs> I, I thought this was hard. <laughs> ain't, ain't nearly as hard as writing fiction. Yeah. Fiction is fun. Fiction is fun because you get to tell all the, as I told my wife, I said, I like doing it because I get to tell all the stories that I've had running through my head for all these times, all these little scenarios I've, you know, scoped out in my mind over 25 years. But then when I read it, like, that sucked. So it's, it's really, it's easier to imagine it than to write it down and put it in words on paper where people say, wow, that was actually pretty interesting. Yeah, you know? well, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> but that, it's not that's easy. That's exactly true. That is exactly true. You're oh, exactly man. right about that. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Again, uh, Lies People Tell, that's the book, Lies People Tell by Frank Runnels, R-U-N-L-E-S, an FBI agent's toolkit for catching liars and cheats. You Check it out. Go on Amazon, order one today, and do leave a review because that, that helps. That helps with the book. And we want to see, we want to support Frank in doing this more often because this is important stuff and uh, it doesn't do any of us any good if we get this experience in our careers like Frank got, you know, interviewing people and that information just goes away once we retire and, and, and leave the profession because the information that Frank has talked about has applications to every aspect of our life. It doesn't matter if you're dealing with co-workers, bosses, family members, friends, uh, children uh, in the workplace. Um, it's a it's a book that you're going to look at over and over because there's just things that you're going to go back and want to remind yourself of and um, get an insight into the the work that Frank has done over the years. And so, thanks again, Frank. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, guys, you guys take care of yourselves. This is an interesting time that we're living in. There's going to be a lot. This is going to be an exciting year. This is a big, big year for for all of us. And we're going to be talking about uh, what's going on in the uh, current events and the news, uh, the direction of the country, because the, the fight is already starting. And you're going to want to stay tuned and listen to our analysis of uh, politics in the world, you know, because remember, you got to do politics. Because if you don't, politics is going to do you, and we certainly don't want that. We want to take back control of this country and become the the shining light and the beacon that we were meant to be in this world. So with that, guys, this is Mark Vines. This is The Mark Vines Show. You take care of yourselves. Keep your head up. Keep moving forward. Don't give up because the enemy's not. And we will see you guys next time. Take care. <laughs>